Yes, indeed. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Yes, Indeed podcast. Uh, today is December 8th. Um, uh, I'm Brian Computer and I'm joined by... I'm Ben Zeiger. I'm joined by I'm Ben Zeiger. Yes, that's who I am. Yay! Uh, we're really good friends and we're here to uh, talk some words into your ears about what we've done this week other than work. So this spans pretty much board games, video games, and music because those are the three things we do. Yes, indeed. It's like the cross without the walk. It's like the corn without the stalk. It's like the stalk without the window. It's like the internet without that grindo. It's like that grindo without the scheme. It's like the needle without the seam. So we just had intense. So many people. Just more people than we possibly could have imagined. It's eight, eight, eighteen. This was the number of people we had at this board game Sunday. We mentioned last week that things kind of ebb and flow a bit. This is this is the flow. There wasn't much ebb. There was no ebb, but <laughs> that meant that we got to do some really amazing games. Um, for instance, uh, two rooms and a boom was I think was uh, I'd call it the entree of the event. Absolutely. Um, and it was amazing. So to give you a bit of background on what two rooms and a boom is. Um, it's 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 one of your classic like social deduction like who's on what team game um, mixed with kind of a uh, a classic game theory problem. But basically, the way it works is there are two teams. There's a red team and there's a blue team. Uh, they're also completely separate to that. There are two rooms which the guests are split between. So uh, one group of people was in the living room and one group of people was in the kitchen. And and uh, we, we live in an, apart- in an apartment in New York that is very long. <laughs> so the, it felt like you were in other worlds. Which was really fun. And not only uh, did it feel like other worlds, but the demeanor in the kitchen was much cheerier than the demeanor in the living room. <laughs> literally always. It always was like that. Well, I was I was in the kitchen a lot. And and it was it was definitely Good. fun yeah. yeah we were well, happy and apple cider was in there so that might have had something to do with it <laughs> happy juice as they call it in florida yes they do call it that in florida so two rooms in a boom uh so the blue team wins the game if at the end of the game uh oh so the only mechanic in the game really is that uh the game consists of a number of hostage exchanges where each room will send uh, three, two, or one people into the other room, uh, and they'll exchange guests. So you'll always have the same number of people in the room, but people will move from one room to the other. Um, and then at the end of all of the hostage exchanges, if the blue team has the president, one character's named the president, uh, everybody gets cards, and some people will just be like on the blue team. Some people will be, one person will be the president. And on the red team, most people are just on the red team, one person will be the bomber. So uh, the red team wins if the bomber ends in the same room as the president, and the blue team wins if the president and the bomber are in separate rooms. Uh, so that's that's how, why the hostage exchanges become really important. If you're on the blue team and you know that the bomber's in your room, you want to send the president away. 
if you know that the bomber's in the other room, you want to keep the president there unless you think that they're going to send the bomber, and that's when the game really starts getting fun. So, so yeah, you were playing. I was moderating because the game needs a moderator, um, which was a lot of fun for me because I got to go around shouting, okay, do you have a team leader? You need a team leader. 30 <laughs> seconds for hostages. And then everyone got to go... <laughs> which was really fun for me. But Ben got to play the game. So yeah. why don't you talk a bit about what it was like being in the thick of it? Sure. So, uh, again, the way that it works is that every round, each team needs to elect a team leader, and that's the person who selects the hostages they're going to send to the other side. Um, so it's it's very much about getting information in a way that doesn't give away too much information and trusting people that you think you can trust and then building on that trust to be able to make the really important choices, especially toward the end. And one element that uh, I really felt in a big way that I didn't expect to is this kind of political control component because my cousin Emma was there, who is amazing. And uh, after some initial tutorial rounds, we kind of added in a lot more interesting characters. And one was this traitor who, whose card looks... Ah. So, Blue, yeah. so one thing about that, so I mentioned there's one mechanic, there's really two mechanics. The other mechanic is uh, at any given point, you can initiate a card share with somebody. So that can be a full or a partial share. So basically what that means is I go, all right, all right Ben, you good? You cool? Yeah, I'm on your team. You're a red team? I'm, I'm red team. Do you want to do a partial reveal? Yeah, I'll do a partial reveal. And then we would show like a little baby corner of our card, not to show the role, but to show the color. So then if we both confirm that we were red, we'd feel better about each other. Um, and the reason you'd want to do like a partial reveal versus a full reveal is if you're the bomber and you're like, yeah, sure, let's full reveal. And then the other person's on the blue team, then they're like, that person's the bomber. So that's why partial card reveals exist. So then you can... You can show people like a little corner of your card and then they see you're the red team, they're on the blue team, and then you know not to trust them forever. So right. it gives you kind of protection if you're one of the important people. Um, and then full reveal, obviously, is you show each other your actual cards. Um, but those are like the only r rules. It's kind of like the Wild West. Like you can, you, what happens is that people usually get clumpy. Like the red team forms a clump and the blue team forms a clump. But then sometimes there's not much for one of those groups to talk about. So their whole job is to like, try to listen to what the other people are doing and like kind of sneak around. And then you hear a lot of people going, Hey, Hey, get out of here. Get out of here. Which is awesome. Especially when you're the moderator and you're just going between rooms and then you see like two people alone in a corner and four people like having a nice time chatting and you're like, I made this. <laughs> well, again, a, a huge piece of it is about political control. Um, so again, you're we talking about Emma. Yeah, so, so we had a, a round early on where Emma was a spy, where the top of Emma's card was uh, blue, but Emma was actually on the red team. So Emma did a partial share with the person who was the president, and then uh, Emma did a full card share with the president and found out who the president was, and then immediately traitored and went over to the red team and said, hey, guess what? I know who the president is. And then for us, for that the rest of that entire game, because Emma was so good that they did it in round one and then the rest of the game kept going. But the big, the big thing was about using, you know, we had a majority in that room to start with. So we were the ones who were deciding who to send. But after a certain point, everyone knew who that we knew that who the president was. So it was about, you know, we, Oh, we can't send the 
the people on the other team because they'll just go to the other room and tell them that we already know. But we also can't send too many of our own people because then we'll lose political control. And that struggle to stay in power um, is, is critical in the game. And it, it really becomes this thing of like, oh, no, this person knows too much. Like, we can't send them to the other team. Um, and and it's, it's hard to know what the right call is at any moment because, again, you're kind of choosing between having more power or having more information. Yeah, which is amazing that they got that many dynamics in one little game. Totally. One, one thing to note um, as, as kind of like a, a con to that pro is the game does really lend itself to quarterbacking, which I think is worth mentioning. Um, for those of you who don't know, quarterbacking is derivative of the football thing. And it basically... It's derivative of the uh, football thing. The thing that you plebeians of, call football. For those of you football. who don't know that you watch a game and, um, and gorillas pound each other with their massive bodies, uh, you should really check it out. It's fascinating. Fascinating I've human seen, behavior. I've never seen gorillas play that before. Anyway, um, so quarterbacking is when one person who knows more about the game than others usually kind of takes control. And definitely there's there's leadership stuff and people have different personality types and everything. But um, I certainly got to the point where um, I was seeing that some people who were playing that game adored it. And they were so engaged and so excited to like get information and even... Um, like I, there was one person on my team a couple of rounds who loved the fact that I took control so much of things. Um, but I also saw there were people to the side either um, because they weren't as big personalities or just because they didn't have a majority and they didn't have a lot of power to do anything in the game um, where they kind of felt uh, like the game was happening rather than they were participating in a way. Um, so... It's an interesting game in that regard because it, it's so good with so many people. We could play a seven-on-seven seven game, um, but uh, at the same time, it it does lead to situations where some people feel like they're not as involved, which isn't ideal. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's at the end of the day, though, I think that's that's outweighed by the fact that not only can you play this with 14 people like we did, which, first of all, part of the reason it was the entree is that, like, literally everyone could play the game, mm-hmm. which is awesome. But the game plays to, like, 50 if you want it to. Yeah. So, obviously, it can't scale perfectly, and um, you have different amounts of epicness if you're, like, one person in a room of 25 people and, like, a ton of different dynamics in that situation. But um, definitely, I think I think it's probably a game that's more enjoyed by, like, alphas or people who, like lying or being sneaky but that's true of pretty much all the social deduction games like resistance werewolf pretty much all of those games i think lend themselves to that kind of behavior um and if you're one of those people sometimes you like open your mouth and everyone's like haha liar and you get like shut down and then you get really frustrated Uh, and this game is no exception but it's also one of the great things about this game also is it's 20 minutes so Mm -hmm. worst case scenario it's not fun for you, but it's only 20 minutes. And then hopefully next round, you're in a room, you're in your majority, and you're super engaged. Yeah, and, and that's and that's something that's worth mentioning also is that the rounds are timed, and they're timed to be pretty short. So we played, the longest version we played was five rounds, where the first round was five minutes, the next round was four minutes, then three, then two, then one. And that's a fast game, you know? Um, and it is interesting. People are used to the idea of a board game being something that takes a very long time but there are also a lot of really good games 
that are very quick and fast. Um, which one of one of which is is this game called Timelines. Pew 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 segue. <laughs> and Timelines is basically you get dealt cards. Um, Brian has a version that's about inventions specifically. So you get dealt cards uh, that have obscure inventions on them uh, from obscure as in yeah. they're things you would never think about. Not like oh, have you heard of the Blanche guitar? Right, but it's, like it's like. When was the cork invented? And you're like, I've never thought about this. <laughs> um, and then you you kind of have a timeline that, that exists that everyone's contributing their cards to, and you have to guess where it takes place. And as people start to do better, the timeline starts to fill up, and then it, you have to not just know, oh, like the cork was invented after cave paintings, but you also have to know well, was the cork invented after the Magna Carta happened or before the rabies vaccine? Like, you, you start to, like, think about how to fit it into things. And, and yeah, and you, you had mentioned something about playing timelines where you, you start trying to put together, like, a narrative in your head where, like, it's really cool, too, because it's for everyone's first instinct when you're playing this game is you're like, oh, well, okay, railroad, I'm playing the combustion engine, so, like... Do, do I think they needed that one thing before the other thing? Like, probably, or, like, maybe not. Maybe there was a steam engine. Like, your brain starts to try to make a narrative of how these inventions came together. And the best part is that sometimes it goes horribly wrong. <laughs> and that's funny. Because you're going to fail, but everyone's going to fail. Like, th this is a game that is so unpunishing. Like, you put a thing down, and, yeah, you might feel stupid for a second, but then your friend is trying to place like Das Kapital, yeah. uh, which is like a Marx book, and they're like, I don't know. <laughs> and then you laugh at them and everything's fine. As long as you're on an equal comedy playing field, which you will be in this game because even we played with we played with a history teacher. Yeah. Uh, and he did not win, which is amazing. Um, but, but he did he did really think that it would be an awesome thing to use in a classroom because it is using play to get kids to actually get a sense of historical progression and technological developments and stuff like that and it's cool and ben mentioned that this was this one's about inventions but there are just so many different ones of this like there's americana there's discoveries so like when did we discover the pyramids like those kinds of things which are these like really interesting edge cases where you're like i've never thought about us discovering artifacts i have no idea when they discovered those old stuff so like it puts your brain in a way of thinking and guessing because there's no certainty in this game there's no, no one knows the answer it's 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 a game of like educated guessing which engages your brain in like a super new way and and works surprisingly well as like a nice social game too it yeah. plays to eight which is also awesome but yeah it really it really does do a good job of uh yeah having everyone feel like a fool in their own way and like create this atmosphere of guess and check and um, joint discovery, like when one person is sure that, uh, you know, the, the invention of, uh, the compass happened before the catapults and then they're just proved horribly wrong. Like that's something that everyone can be excited about all at once. There's nothing better than the moment where they're like, well, I'm pretty sure this happened to you. What? No, the like milk carton happened in like 1920 like <laughs> that's amazing um it's it's a cool game 
and it and it, it's fast you know you can play through the whole thing in 15 20 minutes and they're cheap and small the the other nice thing about this is that you can own these games and they won't overwhelm you with space so they're really nice things to have in your board game collection because they're quick small if you feel like you've played through your own cards too many times you can just get an expansion mix them all together and then you're going to have a hard time fitting even if you have a rough sense of where your cards fit with each other if you add in another set of cards you're lost lost yeah (laughs) Um, another one of those small games that we played to just kind of like get things going as people streamed in is this game called crossing which we call mushrooms you call mushrooms i call the pointing game yeah (laughs) and that game's super simple basically uh there's one mechanic which is uh gems come out on these different mushrooms and you all point your fingers in the air and then on the count of three you all point at a mushroom and if you are the only person pointing at a mushroom you get the gems and if someone else if at least one other person is pointing at it nobody gets them and that's kind of like zany cute fun but where it goes from being fun to being well, insane before you say anything okay, yeah. that mechanic alone there's always one less mushroom than there are players so i guarantee you the first time you play this game on the first turn people will start laughing right because there's a guarantee that two people are going to be pointing at the same mushroom and someone else probably won't be pointing at that mushroom so they'll get gems and other people won't it'll feel random to them but they'll be like hey ben why'd you why'd you point at the middle mushroom obviously (laughs) that one's worth less points than the other ones why'd you even do that what and it it, so like it's a game that comes with a punchline at the beginning which is awesome but then the, the, the crazy like, there's part. a sec there's a one two punch line because the two punch line is amazing. Yeah, basically your like pot of all your winnings is also fair game. So if you point at someone's mushroom in the last round who's about to win and you're the only one pointing at it, then you're the winner. And that happens all throughout the whole game. Uh, so that leads to crazy situations where multiple people will point to one person's mushroom trying to steal it and nobody will get it and on top of that you can point to your own mushroom so you can sit there halfway through the game where you're winning and point at your own mushroom over and over again but then other people start to get more points and you might end up losing just because you were so risk averse and so scared of, of losing all your gems and that that one is the one that's funny it's not even like oh i was pointing at a middle one and i was greedy and you stole all my stash that one you'll find that you don't end up caring about that over time this isn't a game you get invested in it's like a light like they max take 15 minutes so you're not very invested it's just you play it for these like little mini punchlines where it's literally like okay i'm 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 gonna i'm not gonna point at ben's because he always guards it and then he guards it again and no one points at it so he's literally (laughs) blocking it from nobody and then he looks like a fool and that's awesome (laughs) like i said when your friends look like fools playing games that is amazing (laughs) and i actually um i played it recently when i didn't have access to this set just with a deck of playing cards and you can just take out the spades and just say clubs are with two points hearts and diamonds are with one point each and then just put them in, out in piles and have people point at them and it's basically just as fun um so it's nice to be able to have something that people can just play with anything yeah we w- want to respect your wallets <laughs> uh so then we also play this game called code names which is uh, really great. My mom, for instance, uh, loves games that are connected to words. Um, she doesn't even really like Scrabble because it's a point-driven game, um, whereas she really likes Boggle because Boggle is just purely word-driven. Um, and Codenames is is something that uh, she really likes because it is all about just words and concepts. 
and communicating that information. It's, I mean, it's, it's a game that like, if you play Taboo and you're like, oh, this is kind of neat. It's like times a billion um, in terms of like what it does and engages you. Uh, so if you haven't heard of Codenames, um, which there's a decent chance that you've seen it on a shelf because this game is in like Target, Walmart, like Barnes and Noble. It got big release um, because it was so popular, and it's one of those. Uh, you know, a game is really popular in the board game community if everybody just takes it and then puts IP on it and then sells it as a new version. So there's like Star Wars code names and like Lord of the Rings code names, like all these things exist because the the original game was so awesome that they found all you had to do was like drape a new theme on it. And then people would want to buy that because money. the game is so strong. Yeah. Also, the game is just stands on its own. Totally. So the way the game works is there's a 5x5 five five grid of words that are in the center. Um, and there's two teams. There's a red team and a blue team. Kind of like another game we discussed. <laughs> um, but the, the way it works is and on, any, on any given round, there are two people who are the clue givers. So there's a red team clue giver and there's a blue team clue giver. And they will draw one card from the middle, um, not the word cards, but a card that has a grid of those words on it. And a certain number of them will be red and a certain number of them will be blue. A certain number of them will be tan, which means they're neutral. And one word will be black, meaning it's the assassin word. So what does that mean? So on your turn, if you're the clue giver, you're going to be talking to your teammates and you're going to give them like a, a code word for what they have to point at. Um, so basically that that structure is always you have one word and then you say how many words that word applies to so if for instance my clue was metal three then my clue metal applies to three of the words on the board and i'm trying to get you to guess those three i'm trying to get you to guess are all theoretically my colored words so if mm -hmm. i'm on the red team i'm trying to get you to point to the three red words that i know are red that you don't but you're tr i'm trying to get you to point at three words uh, so that we can get three points because your goal is to try to point at all of your team's words before the other team. Yeah, and and one thing that I love about code names is it really starts to illuminate how people think in different ways. Oh because, my god! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was I was giving clues for my team, which Brian was on, and uh, one funny thing about me and Brian is that we're very similar in many different ways, and we're very different in like how we think at our core pretty yeah we're similar in pretty much every way except um what we like in certain things is a little bit different and how we think is 1000 percent different <laughs> yeah no similarity in how we think about things if a game relies you to communicate how you think about stuff to each other we will we lose at that game <laughs> you it's funny because everybody everybody assumes that Oh, Ben and Brian are on sentences. the same team. Ben and Brian are on the same team. Like, they're going to have a natural advantage. And yet... Yeah, we're, we're hor horrible together. Well, my, so my favorite thing about this is... Uh, so, you know, the people do the thing where they're like, oh, let's finish each other's sentences. So we do that sometimes where we will always get the timing of the word exactly correct. Like, we will say at the same time a word, but they will be different Totally words. not the same. <laughs> Case and point! <laughs> But anyway, so I was giving clues, and uh, Brian was not able to be on the same plane as me. Um, we were on the same team, which right. is bad for the team. Not good. But the the whole thing is all about, you know, this person seems to think that the word park is connected to tree, but 
I'm only thinking about park in terms of like a parking lot and I can't think about it in a different context. Well, also to be fair to you, the the job of the clue giver is really hard. Because the uh, big thing is that, you know. None of the words are any what like each other. Yeah, and, and it's randomized the pattern. So you might have, again, that park tree example, you might have the word park and the word bush on your uh, list of words that you're trying to get people to guess. But the word um, branch is not. And if you say tree, then people are going to guess branch. And then that might be really bad for your team. Which is so awesome because, yes, you're trying to get the team to point at your words. But if they don't point at your words, for instance, if they point at the other team's words, then they get to keep those points. Yeah. So you can do really bad by doing that. Um, you can do less bad by pointing at neutral words, which just means they have to stop guessing. Or even worse, if you point at the assassin word. Then your team loses the game. And and again, it's nice because a game of uh, Codenames at max takes 20 minutes, half hour. So if you do play and your team just loses off the bat, it's not anywhere near as bad as you sink an hour and a half into a game and then you just lose at the end. And our, our the game we did play was actually amazingly epic. Um, so we, <laughs> Ben's first three clues, <laughs> we pointed, Fell flat. <laughs> we, we got the first thing right away. Um, so it would be like Barry and we'd be like, all right, well, Barry feels like, uh, cherry. So we point at cherry and we get that one right. And then the second one we'd point at something and it would be the neutral word, which like not the end of the world. Uh, it's the neutral world. But after three rounds of that, we felt just so crappy. Well, we were really behind. But yeah. uh, but at at that point, and then hubris. <laughs> uh, so the other team was like, "Oh, we're so far ahead. I can just give one word clues because you're allowed to say like, um, like Montezuma one, and then maybe Aztec. that was Aztec, and then you just get to stop guessing." Uh, the other team also, if they don't feel great about a guess, they're allowed to just pass, so that they don't accidentally guess the other team's word or something like that. Um, and the other team was, you know, they were passing words. They were doing one-word clues. And meanwhile, we were over here at guessing poorly. But then we got the round to catch up where Ben Ben just said some clue like four. And we were like, all right, he probably wants us to tap into the old ones. But those ones were crazy. So we like <laughs> basically pointed to random cards and then we it worked. <laughs> and then we kind of caught up. And then they had a moment where they had to guess uh, the final word. And then I think they... They pointed to a neutral word. Yeah. So then Ben got to clutch it with like metal two, and the, there were only two things that were like definitely metal. Banned. Yeah. And we and we won, and then everybody <laughs> erupted, and then the other team was that oh, head and hands. It was just it was glorious. Uh, and the, I think the other team didn't even feel that bad at the end of the day because they were like, but I mean, sure, <laughs> that's it was, fine. It was an epic that comeback win. was like such an epic thing that they didn't mind losing. Which is cool, but yeah, if you if you like word games, if you like thinking uh, about puzzles where you have to get not the most obvious solution, but especially if you like connecting two things that aren't connected at all, because it kind of it's weirdly really connected to. There was a game that Ben and I used to play all the time, waiting for the subway, um, which I'm sure other people have called called play say say the same thing, which more or less you both say a word at the same time, and then the next word that both of you say. Uh, you'll say it at the same time again, but you're trying to do that where you say the same thing. So the two previous words that weren't the same thing, you would do that and then hopefully 
think about what connects those two things. So you, the word might be like shiny, painting. shiny and painting. And I would say paint and Ben would say coin, coin. So then we would have to keep going until we've said the same thing, which is really, it's amazing. I would say gold and you would say copper. <sighs> you just said gold. Then we could have stopped the example. But anyway, if we, if we metal. did yeah, metal. Yay! So we, we won. We didn't edit that at all. <laughs> we just we just cheated. Um, but the idea is that uh, that's where Brian and I learned that we think so differently. Right. Well, that's that is where. But it's also it's that puzzle is really in, immensely satisfying to get correctly. Um, so if if that if you've done that that like little camp game or whatever in the past and you enjoyed it, then you will love code names. Yeah. But also generally everyone loves code names. Yeah. So after we played Two Rooms in a Boom and Timelines and Crossing and Codenames, we split the group because too many people is a problem for board games. Player count is definitely something you always have to keep an eye on. And if you have a group of 18 people, <laughs> your life is a lot harder as someone who puts on a board game event. Um, part of the reason I have that wall of board games is so that I have a bunch of different games for different player counts. So we were at 13 after Two Rune of Boom ended. So we were actually able to nicely split up and play a seven-person game and a six-person game. Yeah. So uh, I, I headed out with one crew and played this game called Mysterium. And Brian split Ooh, that off. That sounds fun. It is fun. What? Um, and did How does that else. work? So Mysterium <laughs> is, is similar to the game Clue in a lot of ways. You're uh, trying to guess the correct solution of a suspect and a location and a murder weapon but whereas clue is a lot of like rolling dice and moving around a board and looking in a room and all this stuff and like simple deduction yeah um mysterium is uh, a game that's played through abstract dreams so basically what happens is unlike clue also it's a cooperative game so the one person is playing as the ghost who was killed and everyone else is trying to investigate the ghost's murder so, well, but one of the things that I love is that in the rule book, it, it explains that you're a ghost in that mansion, but you were killed so long ago that you're not exactly, it's like kind of hazy of like who killed you. You, you have like a vague know. sense. Yeah. So um, every person is trying to guess their own unique solution. Uh, unique solution. So each, so Ben has like the maid in the room, the kitchen with the dumbbell or whatever. So if that's Ben's solution, that's nobody else's solution, but they will have their own solution. Um, so the ghost is like, I think it might, if it was this person, they definitely used a dumbbell in the kitchen, but I don't know. It, it, it could have been the hunter uh, in the garden, garden with, with a stool. stool. It could have been, I don't know. <laughs> so that's funny. But yeah, um, they communicate through these amazingly illustrated Beautiful. cards that have nothing to do with anything. Right. It's total nonsense. So um, if if there are any super geeks out there, it's sort of like Dixit cards, but essentially it's sort of like uh, a really well, abstract like, childhood like book, uh, like children's book illustration that has mice that are in bubbles floating yeah. up toward a tree or a frog <laughs> in the middle of a darkened woods floating on top of a pond. Yeah. And like, totally abstract strange illustrations um and you have to kind of extrapolate on this this strange image on what the ghost could possibly be trying to tell you so whether that's through 
the idea or the color scheme. That, and, yeah. And the thing that makes this so amazing is that the ghost can't talk. Right. Uh, so as you're discussing, so basically the ghost will pick out one dream for each person and then, uh, which is, which is one of the really nice things cause they only have seven cards. So when they have to pick one out for each person, they have like a limited selection. So a lot of times what happens is, um, like one of the cards will have a dumbbell in it and you'll be like, there's a dumbbell in this. It's for dumbbell. And then the ghost and you like do a little like wink, like point at each other, like, yeah, we rock. And then somebody else will get a card that the ghost was like, yeah, I threw that card away, but like, there's always going to be a sacrifice. <laughs> or they'll just overlook something. So they'll, they'll pick yeah. a card, or again, thinking in different ways. So they'll pick a pick a card that you know has uh, a green color scheme to it, but there was an object in it that they didn't see. There's like a prominent like fishbowl in it, and then they're like, oh, water! This is totally the pool. Yeah. And you're like, no, but that room's so green. Yeah. <laughs> so. So it is it is an interesting game and then and then um there's a, a rule also that the ghost again can't talk but you have to communicate through knocks oh, one one for it's yes so good. and two for no um so what we've adopted again our our kind of like way to to role play more and everything is step 1 candlelight yeah so we we turn off all the lights and we light a bunch of tea candles and we we were playing by by these little flickering flames which was awesome and then Step two is at the end of the round when everyone's guessing if they're correct or not, um, all the people who aren't the ghost hold hands and they have a seance. And you you kind of like all support each other and ask the ghost if you were right and you either hear one knock or two knocks. And that works really well because the ghost will always knock one time and then you're just kind of like lingering on the edge of your seat. Like, will there be a second knock? Was I wrong? And then there's not one or there is one and it's just like... And sometimes the ghost is like really dramatic with it. So they'll give you one knock <laughs> and then everybody's like, yeah! And then the ghost knocks again and you're like... No. And it's it's great because, um, yeah, everybody's trying to solve their own thing. But then once people are done um, with their little puzzle, they get to then like focus their efforts on that other person. But again, it's there. it kind of takes away some of the like quarterbacky stuff that you see in Two Rooms in a Boom. Because at the end of the day... One, it's that person's decision. Yeah. Um, but two, um, people are kind of invested their own thing until that's done. Um, but you're also like passively trying to help everybody as you go along. So like everybody, so someone will be like, I feel really good about this. And then everybody's like, I don't see it, but fine. And then we, like everybody else is like, okay, how about you? Like what's going on here? Like it could be this, it could be this. So it's like a group thing. Well, it's that also really fun. process elimination. So if one person has a clue that they feel really strong, and uh, then they look at someone else and there's a way stronger for the same thing. Then they're like, oh, wait, that you're definitely that. So that means that I'm something else. So it really it does involve you to like pay attention to one another without controlling one another. And as a, as a board game, I would say if you haven't played a board game in like five or ten years, this is the board game that yeah. you should play to like see if you like the hobby. Because it, it has a lot of what is so amazing about this hobby in it. Totally. So that was great. Um, and meanwhile, at the same time, yeah. I was leading... Meanwhile, at the same time, <laughs> again, our brains work differently. Um, so at the same time, I was leading a game called Pictomania, um, which is has the best box ever. It's like a swirly blue cartoonish vortex where there's a dragon who's got a pencil. It's <laughs> absurd. Um, also, whenever you pick up the box, you have to go Pictomania... Because it's this Listomania song by Phoenix. <laughs> Anywho! Uh, so, um, it's a drawing game. And it's, 
I, it's a game that um, some people will like it more than Pictionary. Some people will be like, I miss Pictionary. P- actually, Pictionary is all I wanted in a drawing game because, like, uh, it's very simple. There's like one person drawing, one person guessing. It's gonna be like a place. I know that's true going in. Some people really like that. Pictomania has like another iteration of this where uh, you you can play up to six people and everybody's drawing and everybody's guessing at the same time. So it's a lot more frenzied. Uh, you're going to be like kind of drawing and then seeing if anyone else finished drawing. If they finished drawing really early, then the thing was probably really obvious. And you'll look up and you'll be like, oh, it's a banana. Where's banana? Okay. Because uh, the way the game works is that there are these central cards, um, which have a bunch of similar things listed on the same card. So a card might say um, baseball, but on that card, it'll also say like basketball, tennis ball, billiard ball. Um, so as an artist, your job isn't to just draw the thing. It's to make sure that it's differentiated from the other things on its card, which might be really easy if you're talking about like basketball versus baseball, but the game ratchets ratchets up difficulty in like really amazing ways. So like if you want to have the most insane abstract version of Pictomania, you can play a version where you're trying to uh, differentiate between like justice and trial and like judge and like (laughs) going to these like really heady abstract things. Which is possible because people know what the word bank is. Um, so that's what the game really plays with is, is it knows it you know roughly what it could be. So then your job as an artist isn't to draw justice. Your job as an artist is to draw justice as differentiated from uh, some other heady concept. Yeah, wisdom, whatever. Yeah. Um, and and it, it is a game that gets very uh, high energy and exciting and fun. Um, so I have, I have a great memory where I was in the, the kitchen with my group, like around tea candles, like everything was super <laughs> moody. Like we were just like, it was meditative. dead silent. They yeah, were having, a, they were having their seance. You don't, you don't, yeah. You don't get to talk while you're, while you're, um, waiting for a clue. And, and then from the other room, I just hear Brian scream, that's a bicycle. And it was a motorcycle. <laughs> Which was amazing because bicycle and motorcycle are on the same card. And the artist uh, put his pen down and started guessing. Uh, mm-hmm. And at that moment, all of us were like, oh, he's done? Oh, that's totally a bicycle. He would have differentiated if it was a motorcycle. And then after the round, he was like, oh, no, it's totally a motorcycle. Like, I stopped I stopped because I was guessing. <laughs> because you're guessing and drawing at the same time. So, like, you have to be really careful about when you put your pen down, which is just this whole other layer of, like, hysterical um it's really good if you like drawing games you will like this there's like people who like drawing games people who don't like drawing games you might like this because again you don't have to be good at drawing in this in the same way you don't have to like have somebody guess something from all things in the universe um you just have to get them to differentiate from different things so like you do creative stuff with like rainbows to get colors and like all those sorts of things it's it's like a lot more like conceptual than something like pictionary is but um, that some people just aren't very appealed because again, it is like, it's more stressful because you have, uh, everything's in real time. So some people don't sit well with that situation where like you're drawing and I don't like drawing and at the same time I have to be guessing. That's like too many things. So I can totally see that and it's valid if you don't like it. But um, if that sort of thing doesn't overwhelm you, it it might be a good game. Absolutely. Um, And then at that point, all of us were feeling pretty exhausted because it was a lot of people and a lot of games. Um, so Brian went off and, to a concert. Yeah, I had to go to St. Vincent. More on that later. Um, 
So uh, after Brian left, we played one final game, which was very simple. Uh, it's called Ink and Gold. And uh, although if you try to buy it now, you won't be able to find a game called Ink and Gold. It's actually called Diamond in the uh, most recent uh, print. Print, but it's the same game. So so basically, it's just uh, this is by the way. This is one of Ben's like all time favorite games. To I play. love it. It's uh, so simple. Um, yeah. It's a push your luck kind of game. So basically, um, there's a deck and cards come out of the deck. Everyone is on a team, and you have to split the the earnings that come out among the number of players so if you have five players and five gems come out then everyone gets a gem but if you have five players and seven come out then everyone gets one but two are left on the card and then every time a card comes out you have to choose whether you're going to stay and potentially get more riches or go back and claim all the ones that you have and not risk losing the ones that you might get because uh if you stay but something bad comes out too many times then you lose everything so yeah so it's it's a fairly small deck um and there's five different types of threats each of there's co- three copies of each and when the second one of that threat comes up then everybody who was on that expedition dies um which is amazing because sometimes you start an adventure and then it's like spiders and it's like okay this my my leader is leading me on this expedition i haven't seen any treasure and i already see some spiders <laughs> and then the leader is over there and he's like yep no it's totally fine it's just some spiders it's, they're totally harmless on their own um and then you get this b- beautiful thing where like the second there are kind of like threats out everybody is just panicked panicked and it's amazing <laughs> but the i mean the, by far the most like exciting moments of that game are when everyone panics except one person who stays and pushes Ugh. past the point of sanity and they they ha- they're like one bad thing after another but they don't quite get enough to actually risk it all and like lose there, it all there are cards in the deck which are like 17 17 gems and if you get one of those you pretty much win the game yeah um <laughs> which is amazing uh because there's if you don't have to split that with anyone you get it all for it, yourself it's just teaching you to be greedy <laughs> and just punishing you for you it for it punishing yeah. you for being greedy all in the same stroke um which is great design just a stunning design so that yeah that one's really great and uh highly recommended again it it plays um each round is quite short and all told it takes about 20 minutes yeah. to play through play it with some cave sounds in the background <laughs> you've got like such a nice time to as like a filler activity dim 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 yes indeed it's like the sags without the old it's like the loot box without the gold so uh as we mentioned earlier brian had to leave a little early for board game day because you had some cool concert to go to some cool concert not just some cool concert all right (laughs) this was saint vincent at the king's theater uh which king's theater already is it's this old like movie theater in brooklyn that's like insanely historic and amazingly gorgeous you walk in and it's it's like things are gold and um there's this insane like red palette everywhere and it's like google it king's theater brooklyn uh it's it's pretty it's so pretty and seeing shows there has been a, an absolute treat. I saw Tegan and Sarah there last month. I thought the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's there last month. Um, both shows were incredible. The Yeah, Yeah's especially so. There's a picture from that show hanging up in our living room where Karen o was spitting a rainbow. Everything's fine. So this time I saw St. Vincent and it was amazing. 
Like, it was absolutely phenomenal. The, beside, beside the fact that her new album is really, really good and that she's made a lot of really awesome music in her career, the the show of it all was fantastic. So, first of all, uh, if you've seen her in the past like I have, she had, like, a full band and they were showing everybody who made the music and stuff. This show was all her and all Annie, um, which was nuts because literally the show started like a fully drawn curtain. Then they open up 15% of the curtain and she's there alone with her guitar and just sings the first song. But also like she's in boots. Like, yeah, she's, she's in like, um, like red pleather and like, um, high boots. Like if you Google her newest album, mass seduction, you'll see like the general scheme of like her outfit. Um, and she's wearing that and she's just alone there with a microphone stand, uh, singing her old stuff um and just like deadpan and just sings like a really sad song about johnny she sings about johnny a lot um so that song ends and then they peel back like 15 percent more of the curtain and there's another microphone stand there so she literally just walks over to it and sings the next song (laughs) and this happens for like three or three more times or so um then it's fully open and then uh and then she they like cut off the lights and then she's there like on the ground and you're like what and she like sings a song from like down on the ground and uh then they pull back the second curtain that's beneath behind her and there's this like crazy like snake mouth thing that's like crazy and she's there <laughs> singing cruel and birth in reverse uh with this like insane mural behind her um and it's amazing and it's all crazy because that's all the stuff from her previous albums and then the curtains come and then there's like an intermission, then you come back, and then uh, she played her entire new album in full with uh, the music videos in the background most of the time and her like alone on this like central isle island thing. Um, and it's so Epic. aesthetically amazing. Yeah. Where like even her music videos for these songs are they're so monochromatic and they're like very clearly like one thing. Um, so like one music video is like it's insanely green and it's they're all like distorted and weird and the new album is really poppy but has a ton to say as you can imagine with an album named like mass seduction um and she's just such a showman and is amazing at guitar so she'll just like break off these insane guitar riffs um but also you can just tell that these songs are super emotional for her uh and there's she has so many good songs where it's it's 2017 has been the year of seeing bands who have just too many good songs well it, it's been a really good year for music yeah and so that's the other thing so up on the on so uh this podcast is called the yes indeed podcast there's also an associated kind of website with this where uh there's going to be features on a bunch of random stuff spanning what we talk about generally yes indeed.net yes it's uh net. um and it's, it'll have a, a bunch of stuff on there. It's got, like, Spotify playlists and a whole bunch of random features. Um, and, like, here's why you should be into video games and board games. But <laughs> the thing I wanted to talk about is that um, what's going to be up on the site soon is I made a list of my 50 favorite albums of 2017. Um, and I just wanted to talk a bit about what that process was like. Because uh, this has been a really awesome year for music. So... Um, the first thing that I was thinking of when I was doing this is like, oh, sweet. Like, I'm, I am so lucky to be in a position where I get to do things like think about what albums matter the most to me. Like, I have a really privileged life. That's really nice. 
Um, I'm super aware of it all the time. That was my first thought. My second thought was, wow, art is perfect. So, <laughs> I mean, everybody felt like crap at the end of last year, the beginning of this year, and every single band was made music about it, pretty much. Like, so many out bands came out with albums this year, which has meant that it's been an insanely awesome music year, and also that it's so reaffirming that, like, art works, that, like, when people are feeling troubled and people need escapism and people need, uh, like, politics and stuff, that art will come out and be like, we got you, like, lose yourself in me. Um, we're going to talk at some point in the future about our favorite video games. But, yeah, it's, like, insane. Like, there are a whole bunch of these different responses to it, too, where, you know, I can think of albums that came out that are all about, like, sincerity, like, Albums like Hug of Thunder by Broken Social Scene are like, yeah, we see your we see your bigotry and we raise you like insane human kindness. Uh, albums like Every Valley uh, by Public Service Broadcasting, um, which is a huge standout for me, um, which is their first two albums have been all about uh, how cool progress can be and like how motivating it can be, like the space race, how cool was that? Um, and then their most recent album was about the collapse of the Welsh mining industry. So very different tone and very, uh, an amazing time for this record to come out that is all about progress being complicated. Um, and there's a, there's a song on there that's particular, that's like the most amazing gun punch in the world where it's a song that's, despite all of the politics of this album and what happened, there's a song where the refrain is literally, I believe in progress, um, which is so amazing that like this record is all about how the this this whole industry and these towns all all throughout wales dissolve and went away because they were built on these industries and people were living there and devastated and there's still like their thesis is still like i believe in progress like sometimes progress leaves people behind but we need to think about those people and acknowledge them and think about them but in the end of the day, I believe in progress. Yeah. Um, so that album like blew me away. And then certain albums were angry, as should happen. So there's like Fever Dream by Everything Everything is is amazing, um, is amazing angry album. And like they started making music in 2015. We're like, if you are not making angry music, then you're not paying attention. And I'm like, cool, everything, everything. Um, so this album has a bunch of songs where refrains are like, uh, Oh, it's a shame about your neighborhood. Like, it's so good. <laughs> uh, Sleep Well Beast, the new national album, was, like, super... It has a lot of super angry stuff in there. A lot of, like, I just want to hide from the world stuff, which I think are really good songs, too. And there's also just, like, the activist song. And, like, some of that is definitely in, like, public service broadcasting. But, like, um, Dark Days and Canopies um, is an album by... Um, uh, it'll come to me. Um, but Holiday Holiday Destination is an album by Nadine Shaw, um, and it's amazing. Um, it's a song that's so many of the songs are about like immigrants. Um, one of my favorite things she does is she plays a song called Mother Fighter, which is about a Syrian refugee mom who like literally fought for her and her son's life, um, and it's set to the tune of Evil by Interpol, and it's oh, it's. It is like spine chillingly amazing. It's like you are saying stuff and I amazing love it. And some people were like, uh, actually the song is lifted from Interpol. And then uh, the, it was great because the internet's like response back to that. I was like, I think if you write a song about uh, about Syrian refugee moms that you're uh, you're in the clear anyway. 
And then Nadine was like, yeah, also this was like an homage to Interpol. So who are you? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So yeah, Ghost Poet wrote Dark Days and Canopies. Um, And that's that's got awesome songs on it. There's a song literally called like Immigrant Boogie. Um, (laughs) So there's so much music to like fall into and fall refall in love with um and i'm excited to push this album list out into the world um because a lot of these were these are albums that i really like connected with and were amazing for me to listen to this year and i'm sure everybody had different things they needed this year and these were a lot of albums that provided that for me including one which um funnily enough overlaps a bit with video games so daughter is a british band who I'm super, super, super obsessed with. Uh, they put out an album this year as this. that's also the soundtrack to a game called Life is Strange Before the Storm, which we gushed a little about Life is Strange last week. Um, we're going to gush about it. We're still going to tease that we'll gush about it at a future date. But needless to say, the music is one of the things that the series absolutely nails. Yeah. And all of this, this new one's new soundtrack being by Daughters not only makes a ton of sense based on what the game is, but it also like literally made me told me how to feel in certain moments which was insanely amazing um like i've never seen that in a game before where literally like the song would change a bit and i was like oh wow i want to smash things like that's amazing that something did that to me and that playing that game actually had that instilled all of these insane emotions on me so so much so that i was like all right this is, not only is this going to be my top 50, it's got to be like number, like top five. And then I was like, wait a second, Brian, you're so insanely biased because I want people to listen to this album, even if they haven't <laughs> played the game. So I t- scaled myself back a little bit and put it a little further back. But, um, and I'm sure this will be a feature on the site at some point, but there's so much that mediums can do with like games being more descriptive of like how you should feel where, um, yes, there are a lot of times like custom scores and things like music or TV shows, but I don't think so many of them are like as center PC or as emotive as what I was feeling when I was playing that game. Um, where like there isn't dialogue and this is like, as opposed to that, like this is this, this is the music. This is like, this is what you're feeling yeah. like pointing at it. Um, and I can't think of too many like TV shows, movies, video games that do that super, super well. Um, and I, to me, especially as someone who like, feels a ton with music it was like it almost incapacitated me with with like emotion yeah and and just to speak to that really quickly um i think that if if someone just met you and didn't spend a ton of time with you they would kind of think that you weren't a super emotional person um but i think that one of the ways that you connect the most with emotions is through music and i don't think you're alone in that i think there's a lot of people who you know society tells you that you're not supposed to be over the top emotional and public um in most situations and there's a lot of really overwhelming stuff that happens in the world and it is so amazing that art in general but music in specific is so good at helping people like you really connect to your emotions yeah um yeah there are definitely scenes where if there was no music playing i would have been like straight faced and if there is music playing then i act like i cry like that just happens yeah um so it's super cool um so you'll see that and if you're so if you're like a super emotional feely music person um look out for the before the storm soundtrack on there because it's really good (laughs) 
It's like the snacks without the crunch. It's like the box without the lunch. It's like the lunch without the lady. It's like the alley without the shady. It's like the shady without the tree. It's like America without the free. Oh! Ben, tell me truth or false. True or false. You're a writer. I'm a writer. Um, that's a, a joke I like to make as a geeky writer where I'm saying the word writer, but in my head, Don't I'm thinking this. it's spelled no. wrong. Okay. R-I-T-R. So, uh, this week, you had a really fun and interesting prompt that you had to explore for a project that you're um, working on. Do you want to talk a bit about that? That'd be really interesting to give people like a bit of a peek behind the curtain, but also the prompt itself was really cool. Yeah. So I thought it'd be really interesting to like both see see what that was and like you talk about kind of your thought process through going through that i think that might be fun for people i certainly was enamored to be along in the process because people who write who are good at writing to me is like <laughs> so like give us a little peek be the man behind the curtain or the person behind the curtain yeah so essentially uh i've i've been a writer for a few years now um professionally and the, the kinds of stuff that I've written has ranged from traditional screenplays to interactive films to video games. And this, uh, this week I worked on doing an exercise for a video game. And it was really interesting because essentially it was all about kind of creating a branching narrative around a specific theme. Um, so I really had to dig into... Uh, creating characters that fit a certain situation and and then figuring out how your choices in a dialogue impact how the conversation goes. So, um, you know, there, there are a lot of situations in life where um, someone will be in kind of an emotionally fragile state and how you respond to them in that state really can change the course of the conversation, um, especially when you're dealing with things that are more heightened and intense parts of being alive, like someone dying or having some kind of trauma in their life or something like that. Um, so yeah, when you're, I mean, when you're someone's good friend, then there's an implicative, like you're part of their support network. So these kinds of situations happen all the time. Yeah. And there's, and there's definitely a right and wrong way to go about it. You know, um, I'm sure everyone listening to this has been in situations where, they have said something in the middle of a heated moment that has escalated tensions. Really and... wish they could have a redo button. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> More on Life is Strange another time. Um, but but the, the, real, the real challenge is, you know, how do you make a believable interactive scenario where you can make choices and then be able to both give enough of a sense of, of what's going to happen when you make those choices without um, making it totally obvious and inauthentic and i think that's that's what's so tricky is that in in real life people don't speak in a clear way you know like all the time on this podcast we'll cut each other off and weigh in and go on tangents and stuff like that and in a video game where everything is so mechanically driven it really needs to be a lot more focused and you don't really have the wiggle room to go into these more 
human but but inefficient ways of speaking and yeah i think uh as i was watching you do this process i think what you were really trying to grapple with and maybe you can talk a bit too like how you weigh something like this when you're writing for something like a video game you're trying to weigh the like having these people be people and like have really human moments but also like still really drive the the story forward like face first like trying to balance that um that level of innocuousness with that that progression that needs to happen yeah because because you do you do need to feel like you're you're on an arc and on a journey over the course of a conversation and you you also really want to respect the people who are playing time like you might have a lot of fun with a conversation that takes like 50 minutes but uh especially if you have something to say you don't you shouldn't expect people enjoy your banter um, and and have enough time to do that and then also get your message. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always said art in general is kind of like life distilled. You know, most of life is kind of routine. And then there are moments in all of our lives where stuff is not routine and something goes wrong. And that's really where the drama kicks in. Um, so it is really about kind of keeping things efficient and and punchy while still being true to life because if you have things that are too explicit and move too fast it just doesn't feel real um so uh yeah it is it is a trade-off and it's something that i have gotten much better at than i used to and i'm going to keep getting better at it and uh hopefully it'll get me to the point where i'm going to be able to recreate both impactful and human moments yes indeed it's like the face without the palm it's like the bible without the psalm it's like the psalm without the prayer it's like the drugs without the dare it's like the dare without the truth it's like the diner without the booth so we also played video games this week what total surprise how did that happen (laughs) um so yeah, we, we mentioned this last week, but um, to do a little a little bit of an update, because this is going to become a thing now that we're playing long form games on an ongoing podcast. Um, uh, so we play this game called Neo, which is a game that's set in this bizarre, f- fictionalized historical Japan. Where you play as a lone Irishman in Japan. <laughs> Very confusing. They just basically, this Japanese studio wanted to sell more copies in America, so they made it a white guy as the protagonist, um, just like most mainstream video games. But that's, that's starting anyway. to get better. Starting to get better. Anyway, um, so anyway, I was, uh, I was playing with Brian. Brian is coach. Brian coach. helps me not uh, get destroyed from hubris. Mostly. I'm a walking Rocky montage. <laughs> it's great. It's like kind of impressive that you can be that. It takes a lot of patience and uh, tolerance for seeing repetitive tasks done over and over again. Brian nails that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so we, we played around with this move that's unique to Neo where um, you basically uh, charge up this meter and then you use it and you are invincible and do a ton of damage for a short window of time. And we got to our first real boss in the game and decided to try that move out for fun well, hey, hey okay that makes it sound a lot more innocent than it was we got to that boss uh and ben was like 
Peh, this is easy. I have the super move. So he puts on the super move and he's just like hitting that the button, button that like hits the person with the super move and he's feeling super good and the enemy has one tick left and it the super off. move runs out and he's no longer invincible. And then in that exact moment, the boss hits him in one hit and kills Ben. Yeah, one shot it. Which was so funny for me. <laughs> Yes, my one of my favorite parts about playing video games and watching Ben play these very mechanically intensive like fighting kinds of games. Even though I would never myself play like a very intense mechanically uh, intensive fighting game, uh, is because you I can literally notice the moments where Ben in his head is, oh that dude's so low. I I don't have to respect them anymore. I can just attack them and I'll win. And then he dies, and that makes me so happy. Well, and you, I'm sure you can also see it break me. <laughs> yeah. Like again, the the the, the most games uh, that people like to play are fun, and this kind of game I, I like to describe as saying the pain stops momentarily. So that time the pain did not stop; it kept going. So I was I was in I was anticipating that the pain would stop, and then I got one shot it, and it was awful. And like again, the the it's this... a Pav- it's Pavlov's dogs where <laughs> you Ben hears like a little ding and then he thinks he's gonna get fed. He thinks he's gonna kill the enemy, Did but not. then he's just salivating awkwardly. <laughs> um, and and it is interesting um, that I'm engaged by a game like that because there's lots of games where that kind of mechanical interaction, that button mashing thing, which basically like click on thing until it dies is something that's very engaging to people. Um, and so, Ben doesn't usually care for that kind of thing. Right. I, I generally like stuff where if I win, I know it's because I played well, yeah. not because I did the thing that the game wanted me to do. And you easily. also like like medieval era stuff, and like there's a, there's a lot going on yeah. there. Yeah. But one of the cool things about this game being set in Japan is that there's all sorts of... So the bosses are very stylized to like... They they they're very inspired by like actual Japanese folklore, art, folklore, yeah. folklore, um, and so those are really cool. So when we fought that boss that Ben got one shot by, uh, it didn't look like a boss from other video games, mm-hmm. which is really cool and gives it a, a sense of personality to this game. Um, art is a really cool way where something like that can happen if you take like mechanics that you've seen somewhere else and you transport it in this new world and everything's pretty to look at. That's honestly enough most of the time mm-hmm. or at least some of the time um so that's one of the cool things the other thing is that some of the weapons you get to use are uh, japanese and uh <laughs> we've been having a lot of fun with these things called tanfas which are basically like wooden little wooden sticks. sticks that cover your forearm um and you can like spin and whack people with so um, our our primary <laughs> weapon up until that point was this thing called an odakai which is like a giant massive sword it's like a sword on the end of a stick yeah and and it is very slow and does tons of damage um but these things are very fast and they don't do a ton of damage, but they're very good at um, lowering uh, the enemy's stamina. And as Brian mentioned before, uh, these games are all about stamina management in a big way. Um, so, uh, it was so it was so fun to just see enemies that we were afraid of before and just instead of being more cautious and waiting for the moment to strike and then doing a ton of damage. We, we would literally charging. walk up to them and say, get Tonfoot. Get Tonfoot. 
and, and then they would, they would get die. Tom, Tomfoot. They'd get Tomfoot. Yeah. Um, and then until Ben was feeling invincible, got to hubrisy and then died, yeah. which again was very funny for me. <laughs> but we play other things other than Neo. And yeah, we're obviously going to talk about Orkies in a minute, but we played other things. Um, so the if, if that's like a thing that Ben exclusively plays by himself, even if I'm coaching, there's a game that I played this week that you've demoed some of, but haven't seen the full thing through. It's called Old Man's Journey, um, which is an amazingly simple puzzle game that's visually stunning, does a great job with minimalistic storytelling, um, and is super compelling for, for that reason alone, where it's, it's just like this really nice atmosphere, there's really nice music playing, the art is jaw-droppingly beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's, the landscapes are amazing. And both the, the style and the mechanics are built around cell animation. You know, the idea that you have different layers that are on top of each other to create this really beautiful environment. And the and the so the mechanics of the game, which they do a surprisingly amount of like good puzzle making with the few things they've given themselves to make puzzles with, but basically let's say you're in a land that's two D and there's a bunch of hills. So your one ability is that you can kind of push or push up or down those hills to try to make a pathway for yourself. So, you know, sometimes you can't move hills all the way. Sometimes you can not move them at all. Sometimes you, like, you walk on a waterfall and you fall, and that's part of the puzzle. So there are a bunch of these little things that are in there to make the puzzles more engaging. And the puzzles are, like, pretty good. I mean, the reason it's so cool, though, is that those puzzles... Like we say, like we say a bunch of times, if the mechanics fit the theme, you're onto something really magical. Yeah. So this was really cool because um, the this this fits the story really well, where he's he's changing how he sees the world um, mentally. So the fact that he's changing how he sees the world in a physical landscapey kind of way is really cool because it's like he found his way by changing the way he sees the world as as like that's that's what the game is about uh, which is amazing that it's it's for for a game that's so small relatively and so simple and only really tells stories when when you finish like a little section you sit on a bench and then you have a memory so you see a picture of something that happened in his life and they're like beautiful watercolor painted amazing things but that's that's all the story you get but i still feel like it's this full narrative experience where um, I think it's on tablets. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be. Yeah, it is. Um, it's on PC, um, but it, and your computer doesn't have to be good at all to run something like this. Yeah. It's super cheap. Um, so if you if like really you could have like a nice evening with like a cup of tea, just like playing this through, it'd be so relaxing. Nice and music at the end, too. At the end, you just feel like really nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, should we tackle the biggie? Let's tackle the biggie. Okay, so <laughs> so Brian and I have a long-standing history with this game called Divinity Original Sin. The worst named game of all time. <laughs> uh, so Divinity Original Sin is um, what's called a CRPG, this like old-school role-playing game um, where it's massive, complicated stories and. You go around playing as a character in lots of different situations. And you you play games like this because it gives you similar thrills to a thing like D&D. Um, yeah. So, like, if, you're, if you really like that, like, pen and paper world where, like, 
there's a lot of like mechanics combat to bite into but it also is one of those games where you are you can be so creative and like do absolutely anything that you think of that comes to the top of your head you're you know i i want to try to lasso this enemy swirl them around above my head and then uh throw them into a tree like you the the dm is like okay roll for that uh (laughs) and you you play these video games to get like a similar kind of thrill of creativity and and thing to bite into um so divinity is one that's better than a lot of them so the the way that those those games used to work is it was just a massive text dump yeah where you could do that but you'd only get the like weird and silliness through just reading like a 700 page books worth of text in a video game yeah and some people love that yeah and more power to them there's a game that came out this year torment tides of numenera that people are like going crazy over the colors one of, of those eternity kinds of last year and like yeah. we don't not for us yeah um but like that exists and if you like it fine good div is the game for us because i think it's a lot tighter than that and there's a lot more action going on in a given moment um but the really amazing thing the thing that makes it stand out as this amazing experience for ben and i is uh the the it's the one of the best cooperative games that we've ever played so yeah. there are a few games that give me that same joy of both of us were super necessary in a fight and I felt like what Ben did was really awesome and necessary and cool and helpful. And what I did was super awesome and totally cool and helpful and um, We fantastic. succeed because of each other. Exactly. And and very few things, board games, video games, like life, really communicates that super, super well. So to get a thing of that distilled into a video game so nicely is really satisfying. It's an accomplishment. And, and the first game was good. And we fell in love mostly with the combat because it's... It does this funny thing where like you have different elements that play with each other. So uh, if you use fire on water, it turns into steam. And if you use electricity on water, it becomes electrified and like stuff like that. And if you use electricity in the steam cloud, it becomes electrified steam. Like right. everything <laughs> works like the way it would in the real world, um, which immediately gives the game this this like freedom. Yeah, this this freedom, this sense of real worldness. It gives it a lot more credibility because. You're like, I wonder what happens when I cast fire at oil. And then, like, everything Explodes. blows up. <laughs> and you're like, that makes sense to me. <laughs> um, that that immediately gets you way more into the game. But um, the fact that, like, every fight ends and there's just this, like, wasteland of, like, fire or, like, poison <laughs> clouds everywhere. And you're like, yep, that was a fight. And it's all, like, resource management, action point turn-based combat so it's much more strategic what do those things mean so it's basically like (laughs) you you have a certain amount of energy that you can use every round and you take your turn and there's no rush to do anything let's say you have like four points of stuff you can do which is like i have enough energy to do four points of stuff so you can move this far moving like a little distance would be like one point moving like a medium distance would be like two points like attacking might be two points so you're trying to manage what you can do on your turn to be most helpful, but also to be safe. Yeah. Um, and and all that is really exciting and fun. And we fell into those systems really hard in the first game. But what the second one does that's incredible is it it added, you know, they, they went from one writer to a team of seven of the best writers in the world. The first game was really like way more successful than they thought it would be. It was yeah. a game that originally got kickstarted and then was so insanely successful that this one was a bigger deal. Um, yeah. 
and sold amazingly well because it's awesome. Yeah. And the, and a lot of that is because the writing is so awesome. And and again, the writing is is built for role playing. So you'll you'll have situations where everyone is happily in a town, and then someone will see one of the people in your party and be like, "Oh, I know you. Like you're the one who escaped the prison. Everyone's been looking for you." let's capture you and then suddenly what would have been a totally normal day in town becomes a fight to the death with the guards and that's so that's that's one of the things that i really like that um for a while they were in video games and then uh, video games kind of realized that like great choices were more interesting so you kept seeing all these great choices pop up in games but now there's like a pushback now where games are giving you choices that aren't necessarily good for you, yeah. which is super great because then you can do you get a lot more of this role playing. So there's there's this notion in the game of things called tags, uh, which more or less, but you each character that you play as, um, which you can play as, uh, you can make your own character and gives you a lot of freedom, or you can play as these like game made characters that have like names and like people will respond to in the environment definitely do that if you're playing divinity because yeah. it's way better um but the super cool thing about that is that like you get into these conversations and certain things certain dialogue options will be unlocked to you if you're a certain person if you're like a mystic if you're a noble like all these conversations have different dialogue if you're a dwarf like all these conversations have different things that you can say just because you're that person um and even though it might not be the smartest thing to do a lot of times you're like Oh, well, I have a special, special thing. One. I want to use my special <laughs> thing, even if it's like, this will super offend them. Well, and, and again, like from a design standpoint, as someone who has written a lot of interactive dialogue, it's it's really mind-blowing that a studio would put that much effort into giving you the capacity to role play. Because again, the thing that makes D&D so special is that you can do anything. And in a situation... There's not like three options. There's infinite options. And to recreate that in a video game is really hard because you have to design so many different branches and permutations. And they basically did it yeah, in a really successful volume. way. <laughs> this is the, like, the thing that stops other game studios from doing something like this is that it takes so much volume of writing. Yeah. And they just did it. Like a perfect example of like how much they love their fans and, and like wanted to give you that role-playing sensibility is... There's a trait in the game uh, called like animal talker or something like that yeah. that lets you talk to animals. So like literally if you encounter a rat, a dog, a cow, a, a cat, a chicken, you can talk to them in the game. And if no one in your party has the trait, you then you just all. can't. But they're like amazing. Like really some of the best funny. writing is is in those animals where it's like, my master, I I love him. Have you seen my friend Buddy? He's just like the nicest dog, and he like plays fetch with me all the time. It's like so good, like it's amazing. And um, not only does that happen, a lot of times the animals will actually help you, yeah, uh, get information that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So and, it, it it not only it gives you it's it's not like strictly a penalty. It's like other thing you you're giving you're not letting yourself have stats by taking pet talker, um, but. Since you have Pet Talker, it will, the game will, like, give you hints. So, like, the famously Div is a game that was designed where, like, you can do literally anything and you can get through the game. So, like, main character, eh, you can kill him and then talk to their ghost. Like, the game is built so that you have the freedom to roleplay literally however you want to roleplay. Um, so, if you want to talk to animals, the game is not only going to 
uh, give you awesome cool dialogue from that but they're gonna like help reveal like there's a trap door under that rock over there when i i saw when i was digging my bone like it'll do that kind of stuff which um is uh like really hard to do and like definitely not every game should spend like months 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 <laughs> before a release just letting this happen but when it does happen in something like this into the scale of something like this it's a real treat to play with especially with another human like i would never play this game alone but the fact that i'm playing with again with ben makes it one of my favorite things ever. absolutely yeah and speaking of freedom there's just insane situations that pop up in the game um so there's one of the things that you can get is a, a class called polymorphing um, so the, they have like different schools of magic that you can take part in. One of them is polymorphs. So uh, you you can like give yourself tentacles or like give yourself spider legs. There's one where you can give yourself wings, um, which lets you, which gives you the ability to flight, which you can fly from like one place to the other. And it's it's so good because positioning is really hard in Div. So that inherently is really appealing. But the main thing that was so funny this week is I was up high. And I was trying to get down to the ground, um, and the game literally came up with the with the error message: path blocked by ceiling. <laughs> so it's it's this it's this to me that's like everything Div is because it's the idea that like you have this giant sandbox where you can do like literally anything you want. So like I'm up here, I'm gonna fly down to the ground, and then uh, there's like the realness of the world is still there though. So you're like, well, mate, there's a ceiling. So what are you gonna do about that? You're gonna bump your head if you try to do that. So that you, it didn't let the game didn't let me do that. So it's like they give you the role playing stuff, but like you're still in a world. So if you're on fire and you step in a pool of oil, everything will go boom boom. <laughs> and that was one of the best things. Uh, really quickly, to as an aside, in the original game is you could cast this thing called Explodoskeleton, uh, which was this little tiny creature that like had a bomb strapped to its. It was a goblin and it had like a bomb strapped to its back. And if you zoomed in on it, it had the most happy face. So happy. And it just went. <laughs> and it was just running around with a lit match. And, and then it would bomb. explode itself. But if you had an exploskeleton and then you cast rain, oh. you would you would extinguish its match and then it couldn't, it couldn't light explode. Itself. And then it would just go. Sad. <laughs> the explorer skeleton just wants to explode. Uh, and and uh, as I allude to, uh, we played some more orkies. Yeah. Also. So again, orkies is Middle Earth Shadow of War, and um, uh, orkies, orkies. So uh, again, the thing that makes it special is that you can get these randomly generated orcs that have so much personality so much personality and uh and the the one orc that we're in love with our orcs yeah certainly and we carefully curate making a team of the funniest orcs we can find one of the one of the long-standing uh battle cries of this apartment has been for funny for funny so which actually definitely embody this in this game it came from divinity originally because brian brian had a fight where where he decided that he was going to do something for funny rather than for (laughs) tactics and it in like absolutely got us destroyed (laughs) we had to load (laughs) we had to load that time but the the saying stuck so for funny for funny so for funny we got these funny orcs and the, by far, one of the first ones that we found who has become the reason that I'm still playing the game, essentially. Ozgrel's the Mindless. Ozgrel's the Mindless. And Ozgrel's the Mindless exclusively says, 
I don't know. I don't know. Oh no. Like not only when you see him, when you see him, when he's on the same screen as you, like <laughs> when when he's just in the background, when you're in an intense fight with a boss, when and Oscar like, is just crushing a tiny orc, sitting in his throne because we made him ruler of the region. He'll just be sitting there. People, little orkies will be fanning him, and he's just, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I'm doing the like really snooty thing where you look at your fingernails. Uh, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, Ozgirl's the mind list this week became legendary, which, which has a been tag, a a grind. It's Ben has wanted this for so long because, uh, as we mentioned last week, there was once once an orc named Posh the Screamer. Rest in peace. Uh, Rest in peace, Posh was, the Screamer. How, remind us, Ben. What? How does that one sound? What? Good. Good. Uh, for those of you who, who understand that podcasts have to be edited, we will be editing that section to make sure that that's vocally appropriate. <laughs> it doesn't overmodulate. Anyway. So, so. Uh, Oz... When, when, when Posh the Screamer died, it was the saddest moment of video gaming pretty much of the year. Yeah, I would um, say so. Other than, uh, some, we're not going to get into anyway, strange. Sorry. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so Ben, Ben has nightmares about losing Osgrels. Yes. So. In Ben's mind, the most important thing is to make Osgrels good enough that he doesn't die on his own. So Ben has been trying to make Osgrels legendary for over a week. So the the big thing that uh, is worth talking about here is the way that um, loot works in games. So uh, the the way to be to make Osgrels the mindless legendary is to grind through and earn gold. And gold. gold in this game, gold. you almost exclusively get by paying real-world money. So not only do you buy a copy of the game, but then you have to buy this currency, which lets you get these loot boxes, which lets you get a thing that lets Osgrels or Posh or whoever become a legendary arc. Which, even, in, even if you're not into video games, um, you might have seen some stuff around the... There's been controversy... Like actually on very major news sites about um, loot boxes in games, primarily brought on by a game called Star Wars Battlefront Two, which which has the the most downvoted Reddit comment of all time, which is still mind blowing to me. It's a real accomplishment in, if you, and messing up. If you if you have the most hated comment on, on the internet, yeah, <laughs> the internet, everybody, the internet. Uh, welcome to loot boxes. Yeah. So, so, so Orkies has some systems of loot boxes, but in ge- like the vague concept in general is that like there's content in the game that you can't get uh, just by buying the game. So these are all games that you've paid for. Um, but the idea is that if you play it enough hours, then you might be able to um, unlock things through the game randomly giving them to you, rewarding you for playing a bunch of hours or um, like completing and logging in every day. So when you make a video game nowadays, you have you really are concerned with longevity and making sure people stay in your game because you also every game that comes out pretty much needs to support multiplayer, which means you have to have robust servers, which means you have to pay for things somehow. So if a game can uh, have keep people ongoing. playing, one, that's great because um, people will keep buying the game fresh because if all of your friends play a game, then you'll probably get the game. Uh, see Player Knows Battlegrounds, uh, uh, which is the most popular game like in the world right now. Um, and then 
there's also but then it also you you need to support that somehow so that's kind of how loot boxes came yeah out. and and it and it gets to this um more interesting part about um ethical game design in a big way um so basically when you're opening a loot box it um in big part is um the experience of opening something that that is what's motivating you to do it um and they, similar to games gambling. have made this so satisfying yeah and they find all the right sound effects and images and whatever and it's like just a, a thing to make it exciting to get things randomly and to be yeah to be clear it is random yeah um, the um, that what you get inside is purely random. so there's a chance that you have to go through the a box multi you have to get multiple loot boxes to get the thing that you're actually after right and um there's a lot of legal stuff right now that isn't worth going into about trying to figure out if that actually is technically gambling and what that means um but i think one thing to point out for people who are interested is um, there's this idea of a Skinner box and that basically is based on this actual psychological principle, um, that was, uh, uh, an, a product of this experiment that this doctor named Skinner did where he took birds and he put them in a box and gave them a button where if they pressed the button, they'd get food. And there were two conditions. One was every time you press the button, food comes out. And the other was, once you press the button a random number of times, food comes out. So the real experiment kicked in when the food supply got cut off. And for the birds that were trained in their little bird brains to peck the button and food would come out, after they'd pecked it a few times and food stopped coming out, they just figured, oh, the machine's broken, this doesn't work anymore, and they stopped pecking the button. But for the birds that were trained to think that after a random number of tries, they would end up getting food, they continued to peck the button until they died. And game designers took that and ran with it. And there's tons of examples in game design of developers using Skinner box situations to get players to play more hours and spend more money. And uh, that is something that is uh, a little problematic. Um, and, and there's definitely there's definitely gray area to this also where. Um, a lot of people who are looking for escapism in games. So um, I mentioned before that a lot of people do what we're doing right now, except better. So one of those people, I think, uh, is a group called Cool Ghosts, um, which talk about video game stuff all the time. Um, one of their most recent videos, they talk about people who use video games as escapism. Um, there's the idea of people using it um, either to as like grout, so like filling little holes in their life. So mobile gamers, and there's the people who use video gaming as concrete filling the, who want to fall into games and have it be a, like a major part of their life and spend like hundreds of hours in a game. And there's those people exist. And um, it's not an unvalid, invalid thing to uh, want to fall into a game so hard. Like League of Legends or World of Warcraft, games that inherently do give you like marginal benefits for playing them a bunch of hours. It, it Some of that is like, yes, we designed a game that is super addicting and people will give us money for that and we'll keep making money off of that but then another piece of this is just that like human nature some people really like having something to pour so many hours into yeah and and uh we don't have time to really go into the complexities of ethical game design but it's also like uh one one interesting thing to think about when you're designing an experience is how to put in breaks where players will 
be able to take a step back and say, okay, that was really satisfying. Do I want to keep playing or do I want to stop? And if you do that well, then players feel like they can pick up a game, play it for a bit, put it down and feel great and then want to go back. Um, but if you do it poorly, either players will get trapped in this cycle of like playing more and more and more, or they'll hit a stopping point, feel like, okay, that was good. And they'll just put the game down forever. Um, so it is, it is interesting, again, that balance of trying to make something that's engaging and immersive and exciting while not making it so intense that it ends up, you know, horror stories of people who stopped going to work or whatever because they played video games so much. And, and once you start hearing about, um, like, this is a concept, I think it's just, like, an interesting to, like, take into your day, everyday life and think about um, people's design of things and, and how they intend for you to consume it, because if... Um, odds are you play a mobile game if you are most people with a smartphone and if you're someone with a smartphone you're most people so a large percentage of people play mobile games those are super designed around skinner boxing people saying i just have to pay one more dollar to get the thing i need so that's like a thing you can think about in your everyday life even things like social media are designed so that consumption of them can be more or less unlimited and um, you constantly get gratification for being on there and scrolling through things and um, it's just like an interesting thing for you to take with you during your week and think about how people intended the thing you're consuming to be consumed it, consumed. Cause I think, um, it's worth thinking about. And, and really shit saying to yourself is, is this a moment for me to take a break? Yeah. Because that's important. Yeah. So that's, that's it for uh, week two of the yes indeed podcast. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. We had way more people listen to week one than we anticipated. We can't figure out how many of those plays are us, though. That's fine. <laughs> they don't need to know that. They're the public. Um, so if you liked this, uh, share it with your friends. We're on SoundCloud, um, on iTunes, and there's a website that this is associated with that's going to have a bunch of content uh, in the nearish future, especially in the new year. Um so yeah, so uh, check all those things out. Rate and review us on iTunes. Share with your friends. Um, we really appreciate you listening. Uh, and take care. Bye. Goodbye.